Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. We got a new sponsor, freaks. McDonald's. Fiat Food Empire. Just kidding. We wouldn't take them on. Actually, eh, what, at what price will we bring McDonald's on? Ty, Ty is here. He can help me with the ads. He's going to have to scream. I was going to like set up. Like, what, at what price would McDonald's be a good advertiser? What's your soul worth? Like, what if they, they offered like a million dollars for a year? Would you be mad at me if I brought McDonald's I on? I okay. McDonald's. I think 10 bucks. <laughs> In all sincerity, though, this episode, very important one. Uh, a lot of feedback from the episode we recorded on Monday with London Paul from the Serious Report, who gave a, a Russian perspective on. The situation unfolding in Ukraine right now, today, we sat back down with Maddie Mazinkshis from formerly, well, Crypto Voices is still a thing, but he, he's rolled out Porkopolis Economics as well, which is a new brand, uh, which his quarterly monetary base updates will live under from here on out. Uh, we went over our monetary base, but as you know, if you've listened to our monetary base updates throughout the years, Maddie Mazinkshis uh, lives in Latvia, is very attuned to what's going on in the the Baltic region, Eastern Europe, that part of the world. And he has a, a competing perspective with the one that, that we put forth on Monday. And I think it's very uh, important. It was a very important episode. This, this episode, uh, Matt Matthew is very well versed on the history of that part of the world, uh, the political dynamics that are at play and the the situation that is going on right now and the most importantly i think the uh how everybody is feeling in that part of the world right now particularly your your average citizen so we touch on the monetary based stuff very briefly in the beginning most of this episode is about what's going on uh, in that part of the world right now um so i i highly recommend you you listen to the whole episode uh and it was brought to you by our good friends at unchained capital it was a weird segue into the ads, but just got to jump into them sometimes. We're right down the hall from the Unchained team here at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. And Unchained is here to build financial services, financial service products for Bitcoiners, leveraging Bitcoins and native properties. Their Volt product personifies that very well. It is a two or three multi. It doesn't personify it. It doesn't like actually become like a person or anything. And it pick better words. Words matter, Marty. Their whole product's incredible. It's a two or three multi-sig. Collaborative custody model. You hold two keys. Unchained holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin. If you have your two keys, if you're ever in a pinch, you only have one. Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. They have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats put into that, that collaborative custody vault. Uh, they're going to multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to help you get everything set up. You're going to set up your vault. And then again, thousand cuck bucks worth of sats are going to get deposited into that vault. Tell them a TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off that package. <clears throat> this rip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. 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 They're the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's history. The first mining pool in Bitcoin's history. Uh, they're also the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows you to stack more sats with your hash. Uh, you download Brains and it helps you uh, focus on higher frequency 
chips on your ASIC board um, so that it produces more hashes and then you, you get more sets for those hashes. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If you point your ASIC running Brains OS Plus firmware at Slush Pool, you're going to get 0% fees. Uh, on top of that, they have insights.brains.com, which is an incredible uh, incredible site if you're looking for metrics in the mining world, if you're you're looking to uh, see how profitable it is with certain machines, what the hash rate's at, what the pool breakdown's at, um, and many other stats. Thank God that Daniel Frums was frustrated during the last halving event and he, he felt so compelled to bring this site to market because it's a great resource for anybody looking for mining data. And they're also throwing a conference in Prague this June, okay? Uh, it's going to be hosted in the heart of Prague and it's focused purely on Bitcoin mining, BMC 2022. One day event packed with panels and presentations. The motto is no marketing or sales noise, just pure Bitcoin mining signal. There are elite partners, including Block, Upstream Data, Tai Kawamoto, Galaxy Digital, Core Scientific, Riot Blockchain, Compass Mining, Atlas Mining, and Priority Power Management. TFTC will also be a media partner with, with this conference. In keeping with the Bitcoin ethos of transparency and openness, the event will be live streamed for free on Bitcoin Magazine. It's a small, intimate event. Space is extremely limited. There's only going to be 350 tickets in total. Join the waiting list on Brain's website or go to btcminingconference.com. btcminingconference.com. And the Brain's website is brains.com. That's brains with two I's, B-R-A. IINS.com. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at HODL, 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 HODL is here to bring you a lending platform that allows you to use your Bitcoin as collateral so that you can get stable coin liquidity. You put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds a key, and then HODL, HODL holds, holds the third key. Unlike Unchained, where you can move your Bitcoin in and out of that multi-sig account, uh, you can't do that with this for obvious reasons. Uh, but since you have one key in the two or three multi-seek quorum, you have visibility into the wallet so that you know that your sats aren't being rehypothecated over the course of your loan so that if you're paying that loan back on time and in full, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. If you are a stable coin holder and you want to get yield in your stable coin, a good way to get yield is to enter the other side of that marketplace. You put your stable coins up to be lent out to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity. You give them a, a principal loan, and then they, they give you back your principal plus an interest rate uh, on top of that. So that's a way to get yield. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com, L-E-N-D.H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com to check all that out. Last but not least, this rip was also brought to you by our good friends at the Bitcoin 22 conference, which is coming to South Beach, Miami, April 6th to 9th. It's going to be bigger than the World's Fair. It's going to be the biggest fucking conference ever. Brains is intimate with 350 tickets. Bitcoin 2022 is saying, hey, we're trying to get the world together in Miami on April 6th to 9th. The first day is going to be industry day. If you're an industry player looking to, looking to shake hands, make deals, ascend the ladder of the industry. You go to industry day. Days two and three, 7th and the 8th are general conference days. Uh, are going to be incredible CEOs in uh, panels, open source stage, mining stage, main stage. There's going to be presentations. There's going to be laughing. There's going to be food. There's going to be high fives. There's going to be ball taps. It's uh, Everybody's going to be getting together and, and 
having a good old time. Biggest conference ever. And then day four is a music festival. Steve Aoki is going to be there. Logic's going to be there. Dead Mouse is going to be there. Run the Jewels is going to be there. Joni Mitchell and Neil Young are coming to play. He yell at Joe Rogan from South Beach. They're going to be sweaty and old. Um, it's going to be a great time. Go to b.tc slash conference to get your tickets. And if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, use the code TFTC. You're going to get 10% off. b.tc slash conference, code TFTC for 10% off. Uh, listen to this rip freaks. It's an important one. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. You got a new mic this time. I don't think you were using that the last time we recorded. It's the same. Oh, damn. Not that I was a new one. The camera was going to be a new setup, but uh, for next time. Yeah, for next time. Next quarter. What's going on? How's your part of the world? For next quarter. <laughs> uh, I wish I could tell you it's, uh, it's nice and dandy, my friend, but we are, we are in some serious shit over here. It's, uh, it's very scary. Very yeah. scary. Um, not sure I'll be my typical, uh, you know, cynical, sarcastic self here. Uh, it's like really everything's in high gear, um, you know, from a week ago when this invasion started. Uh, I've been just glued to Twitter. I uh, apologize for any of my Twitter followers who are used to me just tweeting economic money and monetary based stuff. Because over the last week, no, it's all right. It's just uh, over the last week, I've actually been on Twitter like every moment of the day where typically I, you know, for long stretches of time, I don't even have Twitter on my phone. Uh, just get on to the post quarterly updates. But this development with crazy tyrant Putin um, and everything that's going on in Ukraine is affecting all of us here in Eastern Europe. Seriously uh seriously um just to a a maddening state for all of us it's really we're all thinking about contingencies we're thinking about what to do if x y and z happens like it's some serious serious shit going on over here so uh i i presume we'll get all into it but um yeah that's basically what that's basically where we are right now yeah heavy shit fucking heavy times for any of you freaks listening don't know who we're sitting down with you should know by now. This is probably what our sixth or seventh quarterly update. I'm um, saying so that one, Maddie Mazinxious. You've you've rebranded. It's Pork Porkopolis Economics now. Yeah, yeah. So um, the uh, the Crypto Voices podcast is still going on. That's we've been doing that for about five years. Um, you know, I got Keto Miner from Noddle on there, uh, guest hosting. Uh, my friend Alec Harris from a Halo Privacy Company as well guest hosting and um we're still doing that and everything but there's uh sort of a branching out of uh new ideas not just necessarily on crypto or bitcoin uh you know it, it's ex it's an extension of everything we've done with the monetary based stuff but i wanted to sort of make it a separate thing 
So uh, Porkopolis.io, the name. Uh, if you enjoy it, great. Uh, if you if you are confused by it, you know, there's it's many many levels. Uh, the, the meaning of that name, but uh, don't have to go into that now. But yeah, Porkopolis Economics is the is the uh, new brand, and that covers some um, similar stuff with the monetary base updates. And um, you know, we're gonna go starting to do streams and stuff. Uh, it's it's sort of all getting set up now, like um, where it's gonna be more detailed on a lot lot of economic stuff, not just money supply, but uh, comparing, you know different effects, different fiscal policies, monetary policies between between different economies. And of course, how Bitcoin plays all into that. Um, that's going to be sort of the focus of the of the brand uh, going forward. And the Crypto Voices podcast is still a part of that, though. Well, I want to dive into the meaning behind Porkopolis. When I think about it, I think, like, are you guys you're cutting through the pork of the world? There's a lot of shit out there. <laughs> you can take it any way you want it. We'll get the, we'll get there eventually, Marty. We're, we'll uh, we'll continue on here. But uh, uh, it's it's a multi multi level name, and I'm very uh, I'm very happy with it. So it should be fun. Enjoy right. it, um, well, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be spending more time together talking about this stuff. So don't worry. Okay, let's uh, let's jump into what we came here for. If you freaks are new to this podcast, you're new. Um, you're just meeting Maddie. We've been doing this quarterly update on the monetary base, which is a data set that Matthew has been uh, collecting, gathering, and giving to the world for, what, what is this year? 13? Uh, I don't even have to pull it up, honestly. It's probably the 15th now, 15th? maybe. 15th, yeah, 15th. Yeah. So we, um, have, we have a um, Matt, Matthew. 15th quarter. Yeah, fifteenth quarter, and we believe, or I, I now believe, after having done had these conversations with you and seeing the data set, that uh, and it's not even a belief; it's just pure fact. Bitcoin's true competitors are base bunnies around the world, and Matthew has been gathering and collecting data around the the global base bunnies and where Bitcoin falls in comparison to them. We do a quarterly update. This is our Q4 2021 update. Uh, we're, we're doing it in the middle of Q1 2022. And so let's jump into it. It's, I don't think uh, much changed in terms of positioning of Bitcoin in relation to other base monies from Q3 2021 to Q4 2021. It's relatively Yeah, in, in Q3 price. we were uh, we were screaming, if you might remember, we were very, very close actually to passing the, British uh, pound. the formerly Great British Pound. Yes, so mm -hmm. that's uh, roughly around a trillion uh dollars in market cap um and bitcoin at the time was you know right around there that 60 70 thousand dollar uh mark we'll get it there um now we've we're you know we pulled back a little bit uh and at the time um it was just above the swiss franc uh but the same ranking as it's always been for for a long time now which is uh if you don't count gold and silver into this sort of bucket, you just look at the fiat monetary base, which is uh, what they call basic money or central bank money. Uh, all of the cash and coin that you know and love or hate, it's in your wallet. And plus the uh, central bank reserves, which are the reserves that every bank uh, in the world holds with their central bank. Those two things together make up what's called the monetary basis, the core of the financial system. 
just like Bitcoin UTXOs are at the core of the Bitcoin system. It's outside of exchanges or DeFi or anything else. It's just uh, it's just Bitcoin UTXOs. So Bitcoin, uh, as of uh, the end of last year, was ranked uh, number six. If you didn't count gold and silver, and if you threw in gold and silver, uh, it's bigger than silver, but not bigger than gold. So it'd be ranked number seventh uh, in the world. And um, and so so yeah, that's where it was. I uh, you know have it under the new brand here. We, we don't have to. I was thinking, Marty, you know, with in light of you know global events like here, this is literally all we've been thinking about for the last uh, the last week is everything that's going on in Ukraine. Uh, we can probably talk maybe more about some of the macro implications, uh, free market stuff as well. There's just a lot of stuff going on there. But, um, you know, both Russia and Ukraine are included in this. Uh, so another, I guess, big uh, update this, uh, this quarter, besides the change in the brand, uh, besides, um, you know, besides some of that stuff is the, uh, the sample set here, which again, you're not really going to find this anywhere. This isn't on the IMF website. Bank of International Settlements. You actually have to go to every central bank's website to find this. Um, we had the top thirty floating currencies before. It was just just the you know the, it was my effort, the way that I could get to it before the sort of shake it out the best way. Because you know there are a couple currencies like the Danish kroner, the Hong Kong dollar, um, some you know pegged fixed currencies which are kind of big, but they in themselves have reserves at other central banks. So I didn't include those, but now I've just included them, said whatever. There's there's some nuance there, whether you kind of even need to include some of those currencies because uh, those currencies themselves, like for the Danish krona, for example, is pegged to the euro. So a huge portion of the Danish central bank's reserves on the asset side of the balance sheet are euros, actually, euro-based bonds, actually euro reserves with the European Central Bank. And it's pegged to the euro, but for cultural reasons, whatever the Danes have always kept the Danish kroner as a separate currency. Um, in any event, uh, I didn't have any pegged currencies in before. Now I put them in. Now I'm just have all 50 currencies. Uh, so so I increased it basically from 30 to 50 currencies, and now we have um, we have basically just the top 50 currencies in the world, regardless if they're floating, fixed, pegged. Uh, or not. So it's a big, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a nice big step there. And um, obviously, if you're going to look at this update compared to prior updates, some of the indexes are a little bit different. Uh, we increased roughly like 800 billion in overall uh, fiat cap, roughly, if you looked at the 30 currencies with the 50. So those extra 20, you can see how it really, really gets marginal, uh, you know, that Pareto distribution. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, we have 50 currencies now, so it's a pretty huge sample. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's pretty encompassing of all the money in the global system. And famously, which we can talk about during this episode, I don't. I, I want to talk about a lot of stuff with with Ukraine with you, but the um, the as we know, um, everybody's in revolt against Russia right now, and mm -hmm. you know they're their uh, monetary base is also being attacked. So it would be kind of interesting uh, to see what happens there. If you look at uh, slide uh, six, Car, it's, um, it's right there, yep. That's, uh, that it shows the, uh, it's kind of a summary. Um, 
and it's it shows like basically where Bitcoin f- fits into that. So you see gold still roughly around ten trillion bucks, as everybody knows uh, or should know. Uh, you hear that number a lot with gold, and roughly that is uh, all the gold ounces mined throughout history. This includes bars, it includes jewelry, it includes everything. It does not, in my calculations, include my estimates of what are industrial gold, gold that's sort of lost to um, you know conductivity or dentistry, things like that. It's assumed it's about like 10 to 15 percent of the overall ounces are not included there uh, of all ounces mined throughout history. So um, it's about 10 trillion bucks. <clears throat> and then you go into the fiat currencies there. You got the euro, the dollar, the yen, the yuan. Um, and then you can see uh, I broke it out separately here. You got currencies uh, 11 through 50 are next. If you look at currencies 11 through 50, that's two point six trillion dollars. Currency six through ten or two point three trillion, so you can see just like how those those shake out there, and then the uh, the formerly Great British Pound is actually I think I said a trillion dollars before. It's a trillion pounds. It's a trillion pounds is um, is the market cap of the Bank of England. Basically, the that's that's when I say market cap, I mean the, the monetary base. It's basically the size of, size of the Bank of England's balance sheet. It's what the Bank of England controls as far as monetary policy goes. It's what they directly control. And then you have Bitcoin and then uh, silver, which Bitcoin as well passed last year, as well as the uh, the Swiss franc. So that's sort of a summary uh, a summary way to do it. <clears throat> um, and then one more interesting one, and then I'll stop for a second, is if you look just two more slides, or actually just one more slide. Uh, this one was new as of last quarter, but it's just very, very overall top line, sort of how does it compare to gold, silver, all of fiat, and then electricity? Because that's always a big one, uh, you know. Big uh, gets people very excited that don't like Bitcoin. Talking about Bitcoin's electricity usage, um, but it's very interesting. You see, if you look at non-industrial silver, non-industrial gold, same numbers I talked about. Uh, Bitcoin is now, uh, you know, as of last quarter, which is roughly around the price that it is right now. Um, Bitcoin is about 145 percent of non-industrial silver value, eight percent of non-industrial gold. It's the same thing I just said. Uh, and then we got this mon- global monetary base number, which is the top 550 currencies in the world. So, excuse me, top 50 currencies in the world. Uh, it's 2.7% of that. And then if you look at the, uh, you know, that midpoint that the uh, center, uh, Cambridge Financial Center, I forget the name of them, actually, mm-hmm. Cambridge, Cambridge that does the research on, uh, on electricity, you know, you're looking at a hundred or so terawatt hours compared to roughly, you know, 20,000, 23,000, probably the updates haven't been done from IEA for this year, but 23,000 terawatt hours of consumption globally, that only puts Bitcoin at 0.5% of global electricity consumption. So it's an interesting, uh, different way, I guess, to look at, you know, kind of where Bitcoin fits in, in the, in the global landscape. That's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. It's uh, it's on the stage. It's there. And like we said, between Q3 2021 and Q4 2021, uh, it was relatively static in relation to the other currencies of the world. Maddie's added 20 to the list at 50. One chart that I wanted to pull up, uh, Car, was 25, tweet 25. Um, and I just mm-hmm. thought this is an incredible visualization of, again, the Pareto distribution that you uh, explained earlier of, of how... Um, the dominant currencies break down across the the top fifty, and obviously um, bubbles up to the top with the the first 
four to five, taking a, a lion's share of overall. But this, uh, I really like this chart, and I'm not sure if you included in your in updates past. Is this a new one? I have. Uh, okay. It hasn't been from the very beginning, but it's it's been in the last few. Yeah, yeah. It's a progression. So it's a big table, actually, of, of all the fifty fiats that Bitcoin has passed over the years. Yes, and I I just think it's an incredible visualization that highlights the covertness with which Bitcoin has sort of climbed the ranks and and is. Uh, establishing itself as a a base money in comparison to to other base monies in the world, and so the far right uh, uh, of this table, the last two columns particularly highlight the year in which Bitcoin surpassed, um, or excuse me, the, the fourth from the right column highlights the year in which Bitcoin surpassed uh, that particular base money, and and whether or not it's still um, larger than that base money, and I think out of all 50, it is larger than 40, 44, 45 of them, which is pretty crazy to think of when most people around the world are just thinking of Bitcoin as some as some Ponzi play toy that, uh, that isn't really anything to worry about. But I think this table particularly yeah. hi- highlights the fact that it has climbed the ranks relatively quickly and has established itself as something that is a mainstay and something that has proven that it 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 has stabilized relative to the um, the other base monies that that aren't at the top, which may not seem like a lot to most, but it, that's where you have to start, right? Yep, yep. And it it would slide. And actually, looking at the markets just now, um, because of my mind has been focused on war all week, but uh, right now it's probably at forty thousand, just slipped below uh, the Swissy, the franc there. So it would be. Uh, not number six in terms of fiat, but number seven. But it's it's always right on the line there of the Swiss franc. It has been for all of last year. Um, unfortunately, our friend Elon Musk actually took it over the Swiss franc for the first time. That he'd get he'd get more arrogant than he already is. So I wouldn't uh, inform that of him anymore. But uh, <laughs> wait, what was that? I, uh, uh, when last about a year ago, you might remember uh, Tesla made the announcement. Of uh, that they were they were going to doing the same sailor thing they were buying Bitcoin basically, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that it launched Bitcoin somewhere up into like the forty five k realm if I if I remember correctly, and so it was really on that news. In fact, it was a big you know green green candle up that uh, that Bitcoin passed the Swiss franc. It was literally on Tesla news, uh, which is kind of interesting. I guess but, thanks Elon, but. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, we, I'm sure you and many of our listeners have the same feelings about, yeah, yeah, about that, pellet, but, um, anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, we're right around the, the Swissy and yeah, it's going to, um, obviously, I mean, the way that, uh, the, the world is going with recovering here from, from COVID. And then of course, now a new thing to worry about, um, with uh, all of the uncertainty in in Europe, and there's going to be much more fiscal spending, and of course, some of that's going to be complicated, co- uh, complemented by monetary inflation. Um, these things, again, it's not something I'm cheering on; it's not something I'm hoping for. Uh, but these are things to obviously just keep an eye on and track, and to see how it's going to make a difference uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. So, really, you know, we're on the border of the Swiss franc. We have been, if not above that, most of last year, right on the border. 
uh, right, you know, tandem with it at parity with the Swiss fr- level of basically the value of the Swiss franc, which is incredible in itself to think about. And then the only ones above that is like the last mid-major, which is the, the formerly Great British Pound, and then the top four, which is, you know, the dollar, euro, yen, and yuan. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, and and in this chart, as, as you say, Marty, or as in this table, you can see all the dates that have passed. Most of them, you know, even uh, Bitcoin passed in the in the in the 2017 boom. So that's like when the first time it passed pretty much you know, most all of these currencies. And one other thing to point out here now is that so yeah, uh, Russia is number ten as of now or as of uh, as of December <laughs> yeah. 2021. Probably fallen. Uh, way down yeah i haven't you know the the website's getting hacked i was trying to do some other research uh comparing uh just nato and russia and russia and ukrainian spending this is other you know non-bitcoin stuff and obviously it's it's kind of hard to get on russian websites these days not necessarily even wanted to try to do that um but uh it's it's number 10 and probably that's going to fall drastically uh next quarter uh ukraine the Grivna is number, uh, the Ukrainian currency, that's number 45. It's number 45. So um, that's just something to uh, to look at there. Yeah. Um, all right, I want to jump into, what, like, is there anything else in this update that you think is particular, particularly no, important not, to highlight? Not really. I think we can talk about it more and... Um, and maybe refer to it, but I'm pretty much, uh, 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 this is so remarkable what's happened in the last week over here that I'm fine to just start talking about, uh, some stuff that's going on over here. If you're, well, if you're interested, yeah, I'm very interested. And I think for the sake of this conversation and creating a flow, why don't we start with the monetary implications and everything that's happened, um, via sanctions and posturing and, currency devaluation reaction to everything that's going on. And then we can finish as we always do on, on the more geopolitical. Geopolitical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, let me, let me first maybe do a little, little disclaimer. I was thinking about this. I've done this for a few other audiences that I've been speaking to. And um, I think it's important, especially since I know your audience is uh, well, I don't know for sure, but I assume, you know, you got a lot of libertarians, classical liberals and free market Bitcoiners in primarily the Western hemisphere, let's say. So you might not be thinking about this part of the world a lot, but... Um, so for anybody who, who hasn't joined the discussion with Matthew, now Matthew lives in Latvia. Um, he's over in the yeah. Baltic region. Yeah, so I'm, I'm half Latvian. Um, my wife is Belarusian. Uh, I have a lovely brand new baby daughter who's Belarusian blood as well, uh, Russian blood as well uh, in there. Um, Chuvash blood, which is an Eastern Turkish, uh, group that's, uh, still based in Russia today, uh, Latvian blood, Irish blood, Norwegian blood. So, uh, absolutely consider myself citizen of the world and, you know, for peace and harmony and Bitcoin and all these things. But, uh, I think if you're, if you're sort of of the ilk that we are and you're in the U S the first thing you're going to think about when you see conflicts like this in Europe is that this is somehow to do with the U.S.'s fault. <laughs> and it's totally reasonable to think that. Um, I'm, I'm one because, of those people. Sure, sure. Uh, I imagine you are. I haven't been following too much of uh, what you've been saying about this particular conflict, but I imagine perhaps you you have. 
but I want to just say, and we can talk about all that. It's fine. We can talk about that. We can talk about NATO. We can talk about everything. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'd say I'm fairly well educated on this topic. I'm very well educated on the Putin regime, on everything that's happened in Russia in the last 20 years. Uh, so we can talk about all that. But I guess just as a little disclaimer, you know, I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm from Ohio. So before we actually tell you what we're thinking, we have to tell you, you know, all of the things that might uh, ruffle some feathers, just so you understand. Uh, but I, it's perfectly like consistent, rational, logical to have been, you know, anti baby Bush, anti, uh, you know, anti Vietnam, uh, following the French, anti Afghanistan, following the Soviets, anti Iraq, you know, Bush, uh, fin finishing his daddy's war over there in the Gulf. All of these things we know are horrible, bad foreign policy, uh, for years and years. You talk to any of my friends, uh, from when I was in university, which was just post 9-11, very, very dark days in the United States. I mean, these were the debates of our times. Uh, it was never, never for this. These arguments about the hate is for our freedom. We have to go over there before they come here. Childish, childish debates and very, very sad for uh, the state of American foreign policy. That's my feeling. It's always been my feeling. And I presume that's somewhat uh, aligned with what a lot of your listeners would uh, and, and viewers would think, uh, I, I believe, you know, we're pro-peace, anti-imperialism, whether it's the U.S. or whatever, um, and 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 just just for for sort of sound, you know, saying hearts and minds kind of coming together and not uh, being so uh, divisive in politics. That's generally generally sort of the views that I think you probably take, and I do as well. Uh, when it comes to here. Uh, you have to understand, though, that this idea about Putin uh, as being well, let me just let me just continue the disclaimer. My my position is and I'm, you know, I've always held this position. Those longtime listeners of my show, it's perfectly consistent to have those views about anti-U.S. imperialism and also have those views about anti-Russian imperialism. OK, so we can talk about NATO. We can talk about those effects, but it's perfectly consistent to have that. And I would even go further, say it's not <clears throat> it's not anti-Russian imperialism. It's anti-Putin because just like baby Bush uh, caused a lot of problems for U.S. foreign uh, policy uh, in the early 2000s, post 9-11. Uh, Putin has done this in the exact same time frame, except he's still in power because he's a tyrant and he's a dictator and he's been in power for 22 years. And it's horrible. So everybody is suffering there. The other thing I would just say is um, I am like an anar anarcho-capitalist at heart. Like I love that theory. I love talking about free markets, uh, how Bitcoin's going to play into that and everything else. But where we are in 2022, like it or not, just like we are in, we were in the year 2001, uh, we're very far from, seven, from 8 billion sovereign flags actually uh, in the world. We're very, very far from that. Uh, we have questions about nuclear proliferation. We have questions about nuclear war. Uh, these things concentrated in a few crazy governments that uh, everybody needs to be careful of and think about. So as much as I would like to see 8 billion sovereign flags around the world, um, we just don't live in that situation here today. Uh, so again, it's perfectly consistent to want human rights, to be anti-empire, but this is the situation we live in today. So particularly when it comes to, I'd say, European libertarians, classical liberals. They use the word liberal here for to basically refer to a libertarian. Just, the word wasn't hijacked like it was in American politics. So a liberal over here is like a libertarian. 
they probably have a very different view than most Americans do when it comes to defense. But again, we can get into that. And the last thing I would just say is, you know, last disclaimer here is like, really, you got to start with heart when we talk about this. I mean, this is a war uh, that's not necessarily unlike many other wars that have happened. Uh, it's a different aggressor, but um, uh, at least in the way that maybe maybe Americans might think of it. But uh, you, you, you have to really start with the heart here if you want to try to get past some of this stuff because, um, you know, Ukrainians are dying every day. Uh, Russians are being forcefully conscripted into this. They had they half of them, literally half of them, as far as I can tell, uh, had no idea what they were doing. They thought that they were going into drills uh, to, you know, and maybe watch out for a Ukrainian provocation on the border. And all of a sudden they're in Ukraine and, uh, you know, Ukrainians are defending their country and shooting at them. Um, and then you have Russians that are trying to protest all of this in mm -hmm. the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg, and they're getting arrested. Uh, babies, a mother holding a baby was arrested with a pro-peace sign. Children were arrested uh, with pro-peace signs, anti-war signs. Um, it's really, really bad right now for freedom, like all over the world, but particularly in Russia and what Russia is going to do. And that's not, that's really not on, uh, you know, NATO or the US. And I, I'm sure you're gonna have questions on that. I'm happy to answer them. But I just want to say those are my little disclaimers there that like, we really need to be thinking about. Uh, this is some bad stuff. This is bad stuff, like with implications for the whole world. It's a nuclear power. But this is a crazy motherfucking dictator that is holding the world hostage right now. And he loves it. He loves the fact that we're talking about this and we have no control over what he's doing. So it's really, really scary. Yeah, it's extremely scary. And that's, I mean, I've been trying to articulate it on this show the last week the best I can. And the way I articulated it yesterday is that just watching this unfold from Texas, from, from the United States, it's just like, I'm like, fuck. Like, my big question is, did it have to get to this point? Yes, obviously Putin's a, a, a terrible dictator, evil person. But were there, was there the ability to avoid this direct conflict in your mind if the West and NATO countries uh, did things a bit different, particularly around posturing of, of Ukraine joining NATO? Yeah, let me... Let me just try to answer this, like, really, I like to get on these tangents, so I'm not going to try to do that here. Regarding NATO, and sp specifically, uh, and Eastern European, Eastern Europe generally, okay, let's, let's just put Ukraine aside for a second. But what I kind of alluded to it in my disclaimers there is the, the view that Europeans have towards security is very different than the, the views that Americans have towards just general security. So... When the Soviet Union ended in 1991, peacefully, thankfully, there's only, you know, I mean, there was there was more than a handful of people that died uh, in, in the Baltics and in, in Azerbaijan and Georgia, but generally a massive communist uh, tyrannical structure dissolved peacefully in 1991. It was amazing times, amazing free time. Like I was young at the time. I didn't know what was going on, but I, I just like even through the 90s, I mean, my father's explaining this stuff to me and it was always um 
uh, it was an amazing feeling of peace and freedom. Uh, nonetheless, from the time that Ger Germany was going through their reunification, uh, which was basically during 1990, 1991, after the Berlin Wall fell uh, in 89, um, all the way until, let's say, 1999, every single European country that was either formally in the Soviet Union, like my heritage is the Baltics, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, um, but also all the former countries that were in what they call the Warsaw Pact, which was under the influence of the Soviet Union. So Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, uh, uh, Romania, Bulgaria, all of these countries, um, they were running towards NATO. They were not walking. They were not crawling. They were all running. Every single country wanted to be in NATO, including Russia, by the way. Yeah, it was always a more complicated discussion with Russia because of their nuclear status. But even uh, Russia had discussions about being a part of a new type of peace agreement. With the Clinton administration, uh, correct? Or yeah, was it? with the Clinton administration. It was in the 90s. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. basically the 90s. It started with, uh, with, with baby Bush's daddy. But uh, after, after that, you know, when he was only in one term, it was basically Clinton that was running this with Yeltsin, who was the, mm -hmm. it was, uh, who ran a coup and uh, again, thankfully, peacefully ended, so helped end the Soviet Union because he became the first Russian president ever. And, and he's still the only peacefully elected Russian president because as far as I know, all independent media uh what do they call them that basically the people that sort of judge the fairness of pol political elections as much as we might laugh about that, even in the States, fact there checkers. still is. Yeah. Fact checkers, all that stuff. It's never been, uh, I think maybe it's disputed whether 2000 was for Putin. Cause he was already kind of set up. Yeltsin just said, okay, this is going to be our guy while I'm, he was getting, Yeltsin was getting sick, all of this stuff. Uh, Maybe 2000 for Putin was included in that, but since 2000, it's never been a free and fair election, which is another thing that, I think American libertarians need to be careful of is saying that, that like Eastern Europe wants to be in this sphere of influence because they never have, never, ever, none of them. Uh, so basically, I'll, I'll stop, but let me just say NATO, as let's again, holding Ukraine aside, as far as Eastern Europe was concerned, former Soviet countries, former Soviet uh, uh, oppressed countries, Warsaw Pact countries, all of them were going as fast as they could a uh, few of them got in 1999 and the rest got in 2004. Okay, so that was a long time ago. That was 18 years ago. And it hasn't, in, it hasn't increased yet. So this idea, you know, this Candace Owens idea of uh, aggressive NATO expansion, listen to Putin's speech is so eloquent when he's talking about Ukraine being formed by Lenin. I mean, the other, the other week, which is just insane. Uh, absolutely insane. But anyway, I, I, I get ahead of myself. Uh, NATO has not expanded in Eastern Europe uh, since 2004, excepting a few Balkan nations. Okay, so it's like Croatia, North Macedonia. They don't border Russia. They're not far. Russia They're small. Can talk They're, one of them. They're small. The economies are extremely small. The biggest expansion, and it was the main expansion, was the topic of uh, coal, who was leading the West Germans to reunify Germany. Everybody. Germany wanted in. Everybody wanted in. They wanted the Soviets out. And here's another 
last thing I'll say about this in the nineties. So in the cold war, Germany was split in two, right? We had East Germany, West Germany. It was famous. We know this Berlin wall as well was Berlin, even though it was in East Germany, it was split in two. So you had the uh, Russian zone, the Soviet zone, typically on the East. And then you had the, uh, both in Berlin and in Germany itself, you had the American, French and British zones in the West. Russia had a, Soviet Russia had a huge amount of troops there, like 400,000 troops, more than the Americans, British or French. I'm not sure about combined, maybe it was somewhat equal. Um, but they, they were just just dr- sitting there dragging the economy down. And it was a Soviet-type economy. So, again, this is famous. Everybody wanted to get to the West, Berlin Wall, all this stuff. But can you imagine that in 1990, when these discussions are going on, the position of weakness that the so- former Soviet, the position of embarrassment they were speaking from, they were like Gorbachev first, who was the Secretary General of the Soviet Union, and then Yeltsin, who came in to sort of finish some of this stuff, these guys needed to get money from the country that they formerly occupied. So not only was the United <laughs> States granting loans and money to the Soviet Union and then Russia, it was billions and billions and billions in the 80s and 90s, both in the Soviet times and post-Soviet times, not, not only the United States, but West Germany, you know. The Soviets were basically sitting in East Germany and they needed money from West Germany. The Soviets, not the Germans, the Soviets. So it just goes to show you again how it all comes back to economic power, first and foremost, uh, before like bullying power like we're seeing today. Uh, but that, that was that was an amazing time just to see how crushed and destroyed uh, an autocracy like the Soviet Union was. And again, why it was such a free and amazing time for Eastern Europe, because from then to this day, I can just assure you, I can assure you, you're not going to find one soul that wants to be under this Russian sphere of influence, or they want to be a part of Russia. All right. So not one soul in Eastern Europe. And then I will tell you, but I'm going to stop and we can maybe go further if you want or not. That also includes Ukraine. Ukraine has a unique spot, but that also includes Ukraine. And as we know, Ukraine was never allowed to join NATO. So Ukraine is not in NATO and we're watching as women, children, babies are being born in the subway and this fucking mad tyrant is bombing the hell out of them and he's targeting the largest nuclear plant in Europe as of last night. Who knows? Uh, what's gonna? The largest nuclear power plant in Europe has been targeted, been bombed, was on fire. It's fucking madness. <sighs> it's, it's certainly mad. And again, completely discombobulating for me personally. I'm like, all right, what the fuck is going on? And you mentioned there towards the end uh, of that rant, like it all comes down to economics and that that's really the driver of, of a lot of things in this world. And so again, going back to that question, like what could have prevented this? Like we know obviously Europe is highly dependent on Russian natural gas. Like if the leverage was tilted more towards Europe's favor in that regard via uh, the fracking uh, for natural gas in the UK and other parts of Europe, uh, giving them a sufficient supply so they weren't so dependent on Russia for for their fuel to, to run their economies. Is that a factor that gave Putin a, a bit of confidence to be doing what he's doing right now? Would he have done it regardless? That's what I'm trying to get on there. Like how, number one, we can't prevent 
the the invasion anymore. It's already happening. It's ongoing. How how can we prevent this from going? Uh, how can we pre- prevent this going forward? Are there economic policies that can be instituted, energy policies that can be instituted outside that sort of shift the leverage away from Russia back towards uh, European countries, Western European, Eastern European countries, uh, so that the the potential for this type of conflict is not there in the future. And like we know uh, with Germany specifically that Russia has paid for essentially propaganda campaigns to to besmirch uh, nuclear and natural gas uh, in, in Europe so that they would be dependent on Russia. It seems like there has been a long con at play, uh, Russia, particularly around energy, that, that has given them the confidence to do what they're doing now. Is that uh, an, an accurate description in your mind? 100%. 100%. It's a huge part. I think most educated people have started to understand this story by now. It's way too late. Uh, Nord Stream 2 was a disaster politically. I mean, this is a uh, Gazprom. You know, you had Schroeder, Eastern German, again, the you know, horrible economically, corrupt, trying to make it back. Uh, a lot of these, they call it the Schroederization. You know, you have these people that are under this corrupt, awful tyranny that was the Soviet Union is trying to make it back. You have this Eastern German politician that's on the, you know, was on the board of Gazprom. And now way, way too little too late to sort of shut that down. They did shut it down. Uh, they stopped it. Now it's all going, you know, to hell. But that was 100% agree with you. And anybody I think who relatively knows how to read understands <laughs> that this is a massively, massively, uh, hinging around energy security for Europe. Um, Everything you said is correct. Uh, Germany, since Fukushima, just... Germany's way too sensitive with everything. Probably has to do with their historical historical stance in the world. Um, But they're way too sensitive. They shut down all nuclear after Fukushima and everything else. And they were very poorly influenced, as you said, by propaganda, but just in general by corrupt politicians dealing with Russia and knowing, knowing that they could get cheap gas. It's something I think like 40% is the mix of both oil and gas that Germany gets right now from Russia. So very, very cheap, um, uh, cheap gas basically, and very, very uh, important to them. And so, yeah, they, they were doing nothing and all this stuff for the longest time. And I should say, Ukraine has huge uh, reserves that have been only discovered kind of recently you talk about Crimea, Crimea, oh, it's just like, you know, historical thing for Russians, whatever. Uh, there's huge gas reserves uh, that have been found under the Black Sea there, uh, close to Crimea on both sides, east and west, as well as in Ukraine in general, that weren't sort of economically viable before. It's not exactly fracking. I'm not sure all the, the details of all that, but there's huge, huge energy resources that now Ukraine itself is finding with modern technology. No surprise, Putin wants to... Uh, to take that. Yeah. So you can get, so it's energy. Energy is a huge part of this picture. Yeah. It's it's not this bullshit, you know, denazification or uh, demilitarization that, you know, daddy tyrant Putin says he wants to do for, for Ukraine. That's all lies. You have to understand as a Westerner, everything you hear from Putin is a, is a 100% lie. Well, this is a, I could agree. We we should assume that everything we hear from Putin is a hundred percent lie, but as a Westerner too, it's like, 
our media has lied to us. Our politicians have lied to us. That's again Great. so discom- so discombobulating. Because like, who the fuck do we believe right now? Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, with the denazification thing. I mean, they're. I mean, I have seen videos of of Nazis in Ukraine talking about going to Donbass and, and uh, killing the the, the Russian speaking population there. There's obviously been videos of U.S. politicians going to Ukraine and actively arming these neo-Nazis, even though they're a small minority of Ukrainians. And that's when you talk about Gazprom, Hunter Biden has relations with them. He's on their board. Yeah. Like Zelensky in 2014 was at a color revolution. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? This is a complete shit show. Well, big thing that's always important to say is Zelensky is Jewish. So uh, Zelensky's uh, grandfather fought in the the Great War, as they call it. Um, Eight eight million Ukrainians helped to fight against the Nazis. So you just see, I mean, Europe is just one of the worst places. It's the darkest stories to try to, you know, sort through all of that stuff. But yeah, it's, I can guarantee you it's trigger words when they say Nazi. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is uh, one group, I believe, one sort of, I don't know, battalion or group of people that like in the, in the East that, that openly identifies as a, like a neo-Nazi type regime in Ukraine. Uh, but let me just say about Ukraine, I have Jewish friends in Ukraine. I have Ukrainian friends in Ukraine. I have Jewish friends that are married to Ukrainians. I've been to Ukraine multiple times. I've been to Kiev before uh, the Maidan revolution. I've been to Kiev during the Maidan revolution. I've been at Lviv many, many times. I've been to Ukraine a lot. It's they're beautiful people, wonderful people. They're free people. They're different than Russians. Um, it's fine to be different. They're different. They have their land. They're not Nazis. Okay, like just yeah. Uh, I'm not saying all Ukra- you that. I'm not saying all Ukrainians are Nazis, but like, yeah. But no, it's a it's again because there's that. So there's as a, I said before, there's, there's a kernel of truth, right? Like yeah. that, maybe I said 100 percent of of lies from the Kremlin uh, of everything Kremlin says is lie. Okay, there is a kernel of truth there, and. Uh, my Jewish friends tell me, you know, this is just they tell me straight up. I mean, I, I asked them a question like, well, what do you think? And like, well, uh, if we looked at Russia, that that's type of sympathy for like neo-Nazi type groups is X amount <laughs> times bigger. Okay, so <laughs> however many Nazis you think there are in Ukraine, uh, there's a hell of a lot more in Russia having yeah. the same type of view. But again, this is like, you know, you and me too, like Jesuit Catholic guys <laughs> talking yeah. about this stuff. It's just, this is this is bullshit propaganda from the Kremlin who has invaded a country. And here's I want to go back to my disclaimer. All right, this is again I have something in my mind. I think about it. I wish we lived in a world where we had eight billion sovereign flags. I wish we in a world lived in a world where we had you know Bitcoin uh, reigning supreme, totally transparent defense contracts for every family insurance was robust and transparent and clear and we could really sort of just you know go about all the bullshit to true peace and live our lives yes i really do unfortunately we don't in 2022 so what i what i want to say again about this sort of where we are with what putin is doing this motherfucking tyrant cunt where what where we are here is like in the west i mean a lot of Americans talk about a secession as it might be a good thing. Okay. And it might for certain states, but let's just imagine like Alaska wants to join with Canada. Okay. So maybe they do. All right. Maybe they want to do it. Great. If it ha- happens peacefully, happens peaceful. But what about Alaska? You know, the United States purchased Alaska from Russia. 
you know, do if Alaskans wanted to go back to Russia, uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Okay. But the, what you have in, in, in Ukraine right now is you basically have Russia coming over the Bering Strait and saying, all right, you motherfuckers are going to join us. Historically, you were ours. Uh, nothing that you hold sacred in your culture, your people, your morals is true. You're all Nazis. Uh, this is what I say. This I hold the nukes. Uh, you're going to join us. That's basically what's happening. Okay, so as much as you can, you might be even persuaded by like this Kremlin propaganda that uh, Ukraine really... Uh, really, you know, just like Belarus, which has a dictator, by the way, since 1994, Lukashenko, he's known as the last dictator throughout Europe until, of course, Putin came along in 2000. So you have these two Slavic, dict uh, autocratic, tyrant-led countries, and they're trying to get this country, which, yeah, they had their problems, but they had color the color revolution in 2004 where that Yushchenko guy, you might remember, he was poisoned. He was also in the Team mm -hmm. America movie, Poison Face. Uh, <clears throat> he's the general, totally democratic guy came in unfortunately Yanukovych the guy that he defeated came back and in in 2014 the whole Maidan revolution that was uh that was started not with some American coup all right and I agree that the Americans did not come off looking well when uh what's her name's phone call was was hacked but by the way there were a plenty of other hacks from Russian uh Russian uh, diplomats during that same time, and they were talking about running their own coups as well. So mm -hmm. uh, it's not that since 2014 it's American-led coup. In 2013 November, uh, Ukrainian uh, the parliament, the people, they were so strong in trying to get to the European Union. In 2013 November, they were starting uh, basically collaboration agreements, which would have led to EU accession. In 2013 November, that deal was reneged because Wankakovich Yanukovych he signed a deal with Putin to basically back off completely. He was, he was the, the, you know, the puppet master from uh, uh, the, the puppet of basically the Kremlin at the time. And that started, and students were the ones that started to come out students protesting that just a few students in November of 2013. All right. So I was there in February of 2014 as well. Like not the first time I was in Kiev uh, looking at that. It was an amazing feeling. I mean, it was like a church festival just to give you a feeling of like what was going on. There was, it was, it was just like so much energy. Uh, there was music. It was organized. They were fighting for their freedom because they wanted to be a part of the EU. Every time you're going to hear a libertarian, Western, uneducated person say this was a U.S.-led coup to where they got to uh, Poroshenko and now Zelensky as sort of democratically elected presidents, which, by the way, Poroshenko peacefully stepped down when he lost the election. And now he's fighting, might have seen it on the news, he's fighting alongside Zelensky to you know, two presidents of Ukraine, democratically elected Ukraine. Where did this Yanukovych cunt, where did he go after he was ousted during this Maidan revolution, which all U.S. libertarians who, you know, just hate you, they're so disillusioned with U.S. empire, back to my disclaimer, they just think it has to be the U.S.'s fault. Where mm -hmm. did this Ukrainian president go at the time? Did he go to Syria? Did he go to Italy? Did he go to, you know, somewhere in Africa? He went to fucking Russia. He went in the middle of the night, got on a fucking helicopter and went to Russia. Plane, I guess, eventually. But he he fled to Russia and he had a gold palace. Like, yeah, that's Ukrainian what I remember. Is like they, 
They turned this, they turned this into a museum to show you how corrupt this motherfucker was. He had a gold, like every, you know, gold bathroom, taps, all this shit, gold toilets, whatever. I mean, and then these are the type of people that that exist. All right. So here's another thing. Just one more, one more thing. Sorry. All of these motherfuckers exist, right? This oligarch culture, this corrupt shit, all of them exist because of the Soviet Union itself. All right. So again, it always comes, you have to look at the boom before the bust. I know we have disillusioned Americans that hate empire listening to this show. All right. Maybe Marty, you're one of them. I, oh, I am. <laughs> very, I am. Dis, very disillusioned. Hate US empire. I agree with you. I understand. But look, Russians are so fucked up because they were at the core of a fucked up ideology for 100 years. That is the reason. That's the only reason that you have oligarchs. It's because after the Soviet Union tragically economically ended, you had a shit ton. Socialism is the, it's the definition of socialism is the means of production to run by the state. You had the state owning all the big ticket items, all right? Every train station, every factory, every power plant, everything. And that was all privatized, of course, in a corrupt manner because it's just shock therapy is what it's called. There was no easy way around. It was a blank sheet. No one had done it before. They didn't have organic growth with capitalism. So all of these motherfuckers who are corrupt, look at the boom before the bust. It's not because of some American coup. It's because of communism itself. They fucked themselves, all right? They fucked themselves. They fucked all of Eastern Europe. None of us want anything to do with it. No Eastern European wants anything to do with Russia. We don't want to be a part of Russia's sphere of influence. And stop saying, I'm calling out to certain people like Scott Horton here, who I actually do like most of his views, but on Eastern Europe, he's wildly wrong. Stop saying uh, that the that the uh, Russia has been, you know, once... Everybody in Eastern Europe, everybody in Russia wants to be under a sphere of influence from Moscow under a democratically elected leader. All of that is fucking bullshit. 100% of it. No Eastern European wants any of that. They ran to NATO as fast as they could. Ukraine did as well. Unfortunately, they got fucking sucked into the corrupt vacuum of the former Soviet Union. So Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, the three main Slavic nations, they're fucked altogether. We're seeing it. But none of them are democratic, democratically elected, except for Ukrainians. Yukashenko in 2004, in the 90s, they had democratically elected politicians. And then they had this Yanukovych fucker who got in and fucked shit up again in 2010 to 2014. But even since then, they're back to democratically elected leaders. That, you know, Again, I wish we were in an 8 billion world of sovereign flags. I'm not going back to my disclaimers. This is Ukraine has tried their hardest and now they're suffering just for wanting freedom, just for wanting freedom. You have to understand that. Yeah. No, I mean, hand up. I am one of those disillusioned Americans who, uh, again, it sucks. Understandable. understandable. It's understandable, right? Understandable. No, and I do. And so and everything's very nuanced and very complicated. This is obviously, you mentioned there's decades, a century of history here. And so this outburst, do you think it's, a sign of like the, the final collapse of the Soviet remnant. Like if things go a certain way with Ukraine here, like the oligarchs, uh, are we, are we towards the end of their reign? Um, is this a, a desperate, um, flailing to, to hold on to a grasp of power? Uh, well, <laughs> where do I want to go? Um, You you got a time limit? No, no. I just want to 
this light right here. Right. Um, we we're in a very precarious time, yes, because of because of this motherfucker in in the Kremlin. Uh, what you need to understand about how like Russia's system is is run is all of these oligarchs came in in a corrupt way, banded together because the system was collapsed. <laughs> And they took over all of the big ticket items. They had this program called Loans for Shares in the 90s, where basically the state printed money, gave the oligarchs the money. They took a loan. They With that loan, they bought uh, the shares, the newly issued shares of these companies. And basically everyone had shares. That was how they privatized it. Everyone in the country got shares of like, you know, Gazprom or whatever. It probably wasn't called Gazprom at the time. The main companies, all of them got shares when they were privatized. But the oligarchs would uh, get in and basically pull them and buy people out for more money than they've ever seen before. So, of course, they sold. So, you know, they work the system as you do when you're close to a uh, government like Monopoly. So this loans for shares program, uh, they didn't have to even pay any money. Uh, they got a loan for it. They didn't have to pay the loan back. And they bought all these companies. So that's, that's the oligarchs now. Putin came in and said, okay, you guys can do all that. It's fine. You can keep it. We had a little bit of a wild time here in the 90s, but you're going to give me, as, as Bill Browder says, you're going to give me 50% of everything. So the oligarchs basically have their money, they have their wealth, they have their resources, they have their assets. Putin gets 50% of it. He has all different holding companies, structures, whatever. And then the political structure uh, Anybody that's basically around Putin and however Putin's succession plan will go, it's looking you know more iffy by the day here. But anybody around Putin is all from his security uh, forces. So like the former KGB, basically the FSB, the GRU, the SVR, which is kind of like the CIA. It's uh, it's a it's a foreign intel. The SVR, I guess. Um, yeah, SVR. Uh, those agencies, all of them are basically running the, uh, the government apparatus. So everybody around Putin is a, is a dumb twat that basically follows his orders. They are, uh, you know, he, he has, it's, it's, he has people around him that are just smart enough to get the job done, but no one's gonna, you know, that's sort of a system. You don't have like someone rising to the top and, uh, you know, you're just going to be outed or you're going to go into private business with the oligarchs. Like he's not going to keep anybody around him in the government that's going to stand up to him. So he's totally isolated. So it's extremely dangerous. Again, this is what governments do. They make dangerous situations even worse. You know, they create monopolies, all of these things. It's a it's a monopolized, centralized, autocratic state. And they're all dumb. And another point uh, just to say on this about like how it might go or how it could have gone Again, with libertarians that don't get it, uh, last week we had this uh, vote, which is one day before the war uh, was mm -hmm. declared, but it was a vote that Putin set up to basically declare the independence of, uh, of Donetsk and Lugansk, these two regions in the, in the east all right, that have been fighting since Russia invaded. Uh, again, let's not forget Russia invaded Ukraine eight years ago for the, all the reasons we're talking about with energy and whatnot, um, <clears throat> and Crimea, which is their you know, Black Sea access. Uh, I saw a tweet from Eric Voorhees, which again, I thought he th thinks he's just being clever. He says, you know, separat separatists should be allowed to separate. And uh, I replied to that, showing him the, the quote of uh, the, 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 the testimony, I don't know what you'd call it, of Narushkin, who was the leader of the SRV, 
I don't know why you would have your security forces put this one to a vote about what we're going to do with Donetsk and Lugansk. But again, this is the structure of how it goes in the Kremlin. All right. Um, So libertarians might think they're kind of clever or whatever. Say, oh, separatists, Russian separatists. They want to be part of Russia. Again, not understanding that it's a gun to their head. And it's just about taking sovereign land. It's about taking your energy. And everybody that was in those regions since 2014 were Russians. They were Russian. It's not just Russian-led. It was a Russian-backed. It's Russian-led. Like, they were in there, like, absolutely stirring shit up. Okay, so just understand that. But if you just say this so phrase, like, separatists should be allowed to separate, and you think that that's, like, going to be a good thing, you think that those two little nations should break away, uh, little republics should break away from Ukraine, it was told to you very clearly if you watched that uh, that little meeting in the Kremlin the night before Putin declared war. So staged, such bullshit. This Narushkin guy, who's the head of the SRV, he gets up there and he's talking to Putin. He was a bumbling fool. I mean, it's a, there there are there are English subtitles to this. We can link it in the show notes or whatever. Um, it's all it's all over Twitter. This guy who's the head of the SRV again. He, he why would a security chief? be making this question to Putin. I don't know, but this is how the Kremlin is set up. It's not like, you know, it's some member from the Duma, member from the parliament saying this. No, it's a security chief. And he's bumbling away trying to tell Putin, okay, what do we do with these these two uh, separatist uh, governments in, in Ukraine? Well, I move that they should be part of uh, Russia. And he's bumbling along when he says it. And he's like, I move that they should be part of the Russian Federation. And then Putin's just loving, like, just scolding this guy because he's a psychopath. He's like, Sergei, we're not talking about that. Speak clear. We're not talking about that yet. We're talking about their independence, recognizing their independence. So they tell you right there. All right. And again, this is just if you're coming at this from Denver or wherever, you know, someone like Eric Boris lives, which I, I tend to think that he's not a uh, naive person not an uneducated person, but he just sees these words like separatists. Oh, separatists should be allowed to separate. This is a libertarian way. It's fucking right there for everybody to see. The The plan is never that these two little republics are going to separate. This is completely choreographed and the bumbling, dumb shit chief of their foreign services, intel services, says, oh yes, we should actually move to make them part of Russia. Because he he misspoke and Putin's yeah. like, oh no, we're not talking about that yet. We're going to vote on their independence. This is the kind of shit that they're managing. I mean, it is it is beyond fuck. There. I mean, if if you as an American have not been paying attention to this, and I'm, I'm speaking to you, dear listener, dear viewer here, if you have no idea what's going on here, this is the kind of shit that they're doing. All right. You, again, I know you're disillusioned with what's going on in the U.S., but these motherfuckers are you. You got. Just oligarchs and Putin. They're working together. They're trying to make everything happen. Now, they overstretch. Now, the, the interesting thing is about private property, regulations, uh, SWIFT, the modern financial system. They really overstretched. Uh, Russia is getting cratered right now, both from governments, but also voluntarily. Interestingly, you know, IKEA, Microsoft, I saw, I don't know. I mean, Steam. I'm not a fan of Gates, but yeah. International yeah, cap. Pageants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. These guys are all, leave- I mean, it's actually beautiful to see the sports federations, you know, because sports does bring people together and to see them say, all right, this is just enough, enough of this fucking shit. You can't just be murdering uh, Ukrainians and having, you know, poor babies being born in the subway while you bomb, try to bomb nuclear power plants. Uh, 
this is where it's it's going. I'm not optimistic about it. And the only people as Vladimir Karamorza. So by the way, there is a Russian opposition here. You might just think Russians are just like in this vacuous state. And they are. I mean, all Russians consume their media, especially all older Russians. They consume state TV. It's like watching MSNBC plus Fox put together in this just ugly cyclops, you know, monster of a of a bad propaganda channel that just this is from the beginning. Anybody who thinks Putin just kind of stumbled on this or naively, whatever, he started this from the beginning, nationalizing everything that was done in the 90s. He consolidated everything from that was done in the 90s from the beginning. In 2001, 2002, he was nationalizing private uh, private uh, channels, private private TV channels, private news companies. He was nationalizing them. Berezovsky was one of the oligarchs that owned one. He fucked him. Gusinski was another one. He fucked him. Uh, all of these, all of these, whether they were ill-gotten gains or not, in the 90s, he said, enough. We're going to organize this around me and the oligarchs. 50%, as Bill Browder says, and he nationalized all of it. So this is what we're dealing with. You're dealing with literally a super state of fucking corrupt tyranny. This is not going to be an easy out. This is not an easy out. And the only people that can stop this is Vladimir Kara Morza. I urge all of your listeners to follow a guy, and his name is Vladimir Kara-Morza. He is part of the opposition. He's been part of the opposition for 20 years. He's been poisoned twice. He's been poisoned twice by Vladimir Putin. And he still lives in, in uh, I think he has residence in the United States, but he's in Russia right now. He's just, uh, he's a brave soul. Uh, he's, he's, you know, closely works with Team Navalny. Uh, if, you, if you don't know who Alexei Navalny is, he's also been poisoned. He was poisoned uh, two years ago in Germany. And imprisoned, in right? Yeah, and now he's in prison in basically a gulag. And, you know, he's, there's more political prisoners than have ever been in Russia, even more than in Soviet times, just so you know how bad it is. These motherfuckers are, are just there. If you want to stand for freedom, you have to stand against Putin is what I'm saying, basically, in all of this. But there is an opposition. And as they say, as Vladimir Karamorza says, the only people that can stop uh, what Putin is doing are, are Russians. So we're, we're in it. We're, we're really under the thumb. We're up against it. Just please support us, but let us do our work. And I think that's a very good message, right? I mean, we're not talking, I'm not talking about an American-led coup here into Moscow at all uh russians need to stand up but they are up against it man they are they are they are at the whim of a dictator who has taken control of an economy that has been fucked for a hundred years and he overstretched right now and it's it's wild to see their economy just be absolutely cratered and completely uh completely just shunned by the rest of the world uh it's some serious shit yeah the shunning by the rest of the world, like because eh, you think of the everyday Russians who are affected by this, who live under sure. Putin, don't want to be subjected to that. It's like ah, like, like I saw videos of people in Germany like trashing Russian stores, and like you have this weird like some something similar to like post nine eleven, where you had a bunch of anti Muslim hate here, and they're just wary that um, all the propaganda around this on both sides is leading to. Uh, collateral damage of your everyday citizen who just wants to go about their life and, and be free. Uh, it's such a war, is such a fucking hairy thing, man. And it's, <sighs> but yeah, like it, it, talking about like the economy and stuff. So like, let's talk about 
the monetary effects of this, right? Like, so you had, obviously, the U.S. and Western nations have levied sanctions. You're having private businesses, you know, pull out and and uh, do private sanctions of of the Russian economy. Like, what does this mean for the state of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency of the world uh, and Russia and China and other BRIC countries maybe going off and making a parallel system that that sort of neg swift because they, they don't feel comfortable um, keeping their, their monetary rails on, on that particular messaging system. Like there's obviously Russia and China specifically have been accumulating large stockpiles of gold over the last two decades. There's been a lot of chatter behind the scenes that uh, they've been developing uh, monetary systems separate from SWIFT and Western rails uh, that, that may be ready to be rolled out. Like, it, like are we having a monetary bifurcation uh, at, at the moment, in your opinion? I think that's the most obvious uh, scenario and most realistic scenario. I mean, I, I think it's a new, it's a new world order right here. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I don't necessarily know if it's uh, it's good or bad for the Russian people. I mean, if they can if they can somehow stop Putin, it would be very good. I would love to see Russians come into the fold and be free and Western. And again, we're not going to get any anarcho capitalist anti central bank people anytime soon. But uh, if you could just have Russians be free and stand up and get you know if you know if if, if 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 they could get uh, Putin out and the Belarusians could get Lukashenko out, that would be a beautiful. I don't see that happening. So what that means is, yeah, like you said, a bifurcation. Uh, all of the swift action pushes a digital iron curtain up, which basically, you know, whether it's going to be some bullshit CBDC, uh, some second form of a swift, but basically all the backward nations will be a part of, you know, Russia's little gangster plan. And then, of course, China's involved in that. Um, and then some other, you know, emerging economies, presumably as well. And then on the, uh, on the American side, everything that Putin said he was against is going to happen. I shouldn't say American side, I should say the Western side, the NATO side. Okay. So Finland and Sweden, two historically neutral countries when it came to military, I mean, they're all, they're both countries right now are in favor of joining NATO. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't necessarily say I want it to happen. But Putin says he doesn't want NATO at their doorstep. They might join NATO precisely because of what fucking Vladimir cunt twat Putin is doing right now. They may join NATO. All right. And they never have. So uh, the the security uh, apparatus of of Europe is just sprung right back into the Cold War mode because of this motherfucker. So it's it's very uh it's exactly the opposite of what Putin said he wanted. And then probably the opposite of what the Western coalitions want is that Russia may not necessarily not even not join the fold, which would be great, but they're just going to completely reject the fold and go completely digital iron curtain up, work with China, uh, new swift for them, complete, completely different system. Well, <clears throat> while I agree that Vladimir, Putin is a motherfucking cunt. Like, is there a path to diplomacy, in your opinion? Like, like just to de-escalate 
get everybody to calm down because like again if this digital iron curtain comes up maybe it becomes a physical iron curtain as well because like, i worry about the people in europe <laughs> their energy it's like what if it gets what if it gets pushed and obviously is irrational in a lot of regards it gets pushed to a point where it's like all right you get no natural gas and that leads to absolute chaos within weeks in in europe that's something i worry yeah. about yeah yeah i don't i don't know the answer to that question Marty, I wish I did, but I, I think for sure it means higher energy prices for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I we've already seen wheat was up, what, like 50% yesterday alone? Uh, yeah. Corn, corn yeah. up. And a quarter of the wheat is provided by Russia and Ukraine for the world. Ukraine is the bed basket of, bed, bread basket of Europe. Their flag literally means the yellow and the blue. It's the land and the sky. Uh, it's a part of their culture and history. Again, uh, they've always been, uh, you know, just that's that's the agriculture is, is a part of their tradition so um again it's hard to i think understand a lot of these dynamics if you're just sitting there in the u.s and the u.s does have much better security thankfully because of shale um uh, i think there was something like nine percent maybe of gas that might come in from the u from from russia but my understanding is that that's only used for like petro carbons or plastics or whatever, you know, different things, petrochemicals, different things that are uh, not necessarily even for energy. Um, and of course, we know the shale story in the US, which has turned out to be very, very good. And uh, well, it's good when they let it be good. That's the thing. That's yeah, I agree here. So, so I think you're just a moron if you're a politician and you keep thinking you got to like, just make this death march toward, you know, <laughs> a literal you death talk march. About, I know you talk I know you talk about that a lot, uh, and it's not particularly my expertise, but I do think that it's fairly clear that energy independence is massively important, and I don't see a way that prices don't rise massively uh, in the medium uh, term. Short in the medium, medium term, term. Yeah. yeah, I think there will be pain. But you know how that how that's going to play out with this current situation. It's just it's too hard to tell. This guy is such a wild card. He's such an asshole. And, um, you know, apparently he had this call with Putin. Like, it's just so bizarre. So, like, do we really need to li live in a world like 150, like, where Russia and France need to, like, make these decisions? Like, you know, I know right. France has a special relationship with Russia, but, like, it's just so funny. Like, Putin called Macron yesterday, apparently. Um, they've mm -hmm. talked a few times, and, and he was just saying, no, I'm going to do it. Where, you know, and Macron told him he was lying to himself. And whatever, we got these two motherfuckers, like, you know, deciding for the rest of us and it's just so it's so dangerous but let's i mean again you gotta you gotta at least feel for uh you gotta at least believe that western situation like the way that the western political world works here is better than the way that the russian political world works for people again go back to my disclaimer we don't have eight billion sovereign flags so it's clear that like at least what we're doing in the west is more democratic for on a relative people. basis on a yeah. relative basis on a relative basis but that leaves just a huge question mark for what's going to happen to ordinary russian people uh i was again following twitter like mad these days and if there's a massive russian brain drain right now i haven't even heard if they're if they've done martial law i don't know if you've heard it but they're talking about maybe it would happen today in Russia. I heard, rumbl I heard rumblings of it. I don't know yeah, if Russia, instituted. Yeah, I, I've uh, I haven't checked right now. But but if that happens, then no more protests at all in Russia. I mean, no more resistance. 
uh, and everybody who's relatively smart and sees the writing on the wall is trying to get out. Like people were driving to the Baltics, driving to Finland. There's no flights out. Uh, flying to Turkey, Baku, any way you can just get out of the fucking country. It's a brain drain. And Putin's going to have to see that as well. So it's an absolute clusterfuck. It's so disappointing. I mean, it's so sad. My heart is for Russian protesters who are standing up. My heart is for all of the Ukrainian people who are fighting for their land. Uh, it is it is just really, really disheartening right now. So I uh, wish I could be more optimistic. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> Look, it's... Ah, uh, it's all fucked. You got but, nuclear questions. I mean, I, I don't want to be alarmist with the nuclear stuff, but yeah, it's it's pretty fucked up with this the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, and he's targeting it. I mean, well, he's, he's actually shooting at it. Well, what do you like? So, like, I was reading multiple perspectives from that last night, and apparently, like, the Ukrainians retreated there, which is like, if if you're thinking strategically, like, why would you do that? Like, you're you're in a war. Why would you retreat to a nuclear? power facility knowing that there's potential for firefight and then the russian convoy coming in it seems like the ukrainian shot first with a, a an rp an rpg um uh, which is like where I, it's hairy. and then you have uh, like then you have the theory that then you have the theory that like russia went to chernobyl really quickly because they wanted to secure that so there wasn't like a false flag making them look bad and again this is like me trying to dissect all the information coming in from all sides. So that's what I've been trying to do, like get the Russian perspective, which we got on Monday. And then now we have uh, somebody like yourself giving another perspective here on Friday. And it's just like, again, just incredibly confusing. If you're worried about a Ukrainian false flag, I mean, stop worrying about that. It's uh, the, all the stories that, again, that uh, from my side. Well, and from well my, that was the I thing. Was like, again, this is the disillusioned American coming in. Like apparently at Chernobyl, yeah. it was like the Russian army and the Ukrainian army uh, protecting it because obviously the Ukrainians don't want anything to happen there because they live there and Russia would be affected. Yeah. Russians don't want anything to happen because they would be affected as well and then it could be used as a a um, an event to uh, paint them a certain way in the international way, which... The, you know, the levels did rise. I mean, once they pushed them out, they took all the uh, the workers, their hostage, and then the levels were rising. They said, well, what the fuck? We got to keep managing this. So they did. They went back and they were managing it. So, yeah. um, look, if you've seen anything, you know how fucking unorganized this army is. I mean, they're throwing conscripts, 18-year-old, 19-year-olds. They're not... They don't even know where they're going. This is what they do. Uh, yeah, they don't have food. Not, they're running out of fuel. Of yeah, they're not running out of fuel. And by the way... They don't want to fight their brothers. So like they are, uh, they're driving around in fields. Uh, again, I don't know how many there are, but definitely this happened. Tanks driving around in fields to run out of fuel. People emptying the tanks so they run out of fuel. That's definitely happening from the Russian side. People are retreating, walking across the border where they're going to be treated much worse in Russia, but they just, you know, they don't want to fight. Um, you have to understand who you're dealing with here and it yeah. is a motherfucking cunt dictator you cannot believe anything that they say there is ukrainians are not going to do a false flag you know to try to make putin look bad they're getting invaded like there's yeah. what what is the false flag needed from the ukrainian side they're getting fucked every day and we're not helping them i mean nato is not doing well, that's anything the thing like the, yeah it's like again like going back you've seen i'm sure you've seen the clips of political scientists here in the U.S. warning years ago, many years ago, 
that like NATO, like pushing Ukraine towards NATO is going to lead to a situation like this. Uh, and like the U.S., that's again, as a disillusioned American, like seeing the U.S. posture toward Ukraine, like, yes, come to NATO, come to NATO, uh, and Ukraine stepping in the direction towards that, which some argue is what was the trigger that led to the invasion, and then the invasion happens, and you're nowhere to be seen, which is like that, you're just like leaving these people high and out the dry, and as Americans, like, that's fucked up. That's not the character of the country I want to live in. Um, and it seems like, again, there's games being played and Ukrainians and the Russian citizens are just pawns in this game between yeah, fucked up tyrant war. and uh, the terrible intelligence agencies here in the West. Yeah, proxy, proxy war. I mean, you know, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. I can't prove a negative. Uh, yeah, no. Neither. Each individual person's going to have to make that decision. I can tell you from, as I, as I said earlier, the Eastern European side, was all running towards NATO. They got in. Uh, they wanted in. It's absolutely incorrect to say that they don't want this security. Uh, as far as Ukraine felt the exact same way. And uh, well, okay, I have one more thing to say, to say that. But but specifically regarding your point about you know, uh, did, did NATO really uh, you know lead up to this conflict? This is where people need to wake up. Ukraine has been invaded. Eight years ago, I mean, again, the leader of Ukraine who uh, got oligarch. his second chance after, yeah, oligarch type guy got his second chance after there was the Orange Revolution in 2004. He came back, still got a second chance. Still, the Ukrainians were pushing toward Eastern Europe. There's, excuse me, towards European Union uh, with their with their parliament there, and they were going to do it. Vladimir Putin made him renege. Uh, all of that stuff. He flees to Russia. Of all, you know, doesn't go to Syria, doesn't go to Italy, goes to Russia. It's obvious who is supporting who there. Vladimir Putin goes in and takes Ukrainian land. Again, it doesn't matter how Russian you think some of these people are. I can make the same example in the Baltics, right? There's a small example, there's a small proportion of Russians, about 20% in Latvia and in Estonia. All right. Those people, those Russians that that live, they're integrated into society. Some, some are kind of not. They only speak Russian, they're in the eastern border. You give them a Russian passport and you say, go to Russia, they will tell you to fuck right off. They're not going <laughs> to Russia. They're not going to Russia. They live 100 times better in Latvia and Estonia than they would in Russia. They will tell you to fuck right off. So it's just not right to say that like, oh, these separatists want to separate and all this shit. It's uneducated. Mm -hmm. Their, their intelligence services are telling you exactly what they think. They're so bumbling fucking idiots. And you just have to pay more attention to see what's actually happening with, uh, with the people there. Now, one more thing regarding uh, Ukraine security. Did you hear about the, the Budapest Mem Memorandum 1994 agreement? Uh, you heard about this? It, it's not the Minsk agreement, obviously, so... No, no, the Minsk sure. a complete fucking shit show and this never, I mean. But it was around that time, wasn't it? Russia, Russia did, Russia fucked with the Minsk agreement more than Ukraine, no matter what, like some people want to say that. But no, Minsk agreement was, was absolutely bullshit and Ukraine was in a very vulnerable position to sign it. U Ukraine was also in a vulnerable position to sign the Budapest agreement, but it's a much stronger agreement, which was completely run over. The Budapest agreement was the non-proliferation agreement 
when Ukraine gave up their Soviet nuclear arsenal. Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. 1994, long fucking time ago. And Ukraine, same time, all of Eastern Europe wanted to go into NATO and get safety, as did Ukraine. Uh, the more important thing for Ukraine in that, you know, in that time was neutralizing their, uh, their nuclear arsenal. Now, they didn't have the, the button. They couldn't have, like, the briefcases were in Moscow. There is still, as I understand, two of three Yeah, they didn't have the keys. They didn't have the keys. But Ukrainians were always very smart scientists, always the ones that were, like, leading the stuff. This was where the major, a major nuclear arsenal was, was in Ukraine. It was also in Kazakhstan. Um, so they had this thing where they're, okay, we're basically going to not give them the opportunity to enrich, not give them the opportunity to educate themselves on this system. Let's just move all of it out back to Moscow. And that was another thing that Clinton tried to do. In hindsight, that looks very, very bad. Yes, they didn't have the keys, but they still could have had uh, a much better protect. It's just like, I mean, it's just like self-defense in this case, yeah. right? Uh, it's just like self-defense it's, it's with a gun. I mean, with a, it's just like, this is Second Amendment, like yeah. basic shit. It's a beware of they, dog sign. Yeah, they gave up any sort of nuclear, uh, nuclear uh, arms and, and, and energy, whatever, not energy, but basically nuclear arms, all right, enriched uranium. And so the, uh, the Budapest Agreement was to, uh, to guarantee their security because of that. All right? It was signed by the UK, the US, Ukraine, and Russia. Four main signatories for Ukraine. Also, Kazakhstan got an assurance. Also, I think Belarus had a, got an insurance. Um, that agreement was just completely violated by Putin in 2014. And again, Russian propaganda, which some people actually buy. I'm, I mean, I, I can send you a link to where it is. It's four pages. It's not hard to read. Uh, it's in English. It's also in Russian, but it's in English and Ukrainian. Uh, fucking Lavrov, another cunt from putin's regime he's the foreign minister mm -hmm. when when they rolled into crimea with their little green men in 2014 and everyone's like well what about the budapest agreement what about the budapest agreement uh lavrov was like oh no all that uh, was was that we said we promised we wouldn't invade ukraine with nukes it's the most bullshit yeah. fucking statement ever it's you just open it up and read it it says we will protect the territorial uh, sovereignty of ukraine we will we will or not, not protect we will respect it we will, uh, we will not invade their borders. We will not use force. We will not use aggression. All these other things. The one thing, if you go back to this kind of kernel of truth stuff, is it does say that the UN Security Council could be called if there's a threat or a use of nuclear force against Ukraine. It doesn't say that if there's a regular use of force. But it does have like, it has eight clauses all about the security of Ukraine, the security of its borders, uh, Russia will not use force, all this stuff. It still says that they can go to the UN and all these other things, but the UN Security Council was only for a nuclear force. So again, it didn't happen anyway. This We see how agreements work in the international stage. I mean, you know, uh, he the who wins the war. Paper. Yeah, he who, he who wins the war makes the rules. You know, we talk, you've probably heard a lot in the media about all the war crimes Vladimir Putin has been committing. He's not going to be a war criminal if he keeps power. I mean, the only time he's going to be declared a war criminal is if he loses power. Then he'll be a war criminal. So that's the reality of the situation. It's extremely sad. Um, just want to make those points again about the way that this stuff goes. Ukraine has, for decades, you just got to read, like, I, I can send some books if people want to read some of them. You just got to read the situation on the ground in the 90s, in the 80s. Ukraine was like every other Eastern European nation. 
They're 40 million strong. They're 50 million strong by the time when the Soviet Union ended. Uh, like most Eastern European countries, there's a brain drain more to the West. Um, but uh, they want, they just want to live peacefully. They want to live free. This crazy tyrant is the only thing that is stopping them. And you really have to understand, like, it's not this, this narrative of just, you know, NATO expanded too fast or this and that. It's nothing. If you think that NATO has anything to do with this right now, Vladimir Putin going in and, and killing, you know, innocent, innocent people, babies having to be born in the subway, bomb shelters, all of these things. It's just not, it's just not the case. It's not the case. So you have to, you have, I have to, I hope I'm opening some hearts here. Just one, even because, you know, these people, they want freedom. That's all they've wanted for the last 30 years. And uh, now that they don't have it and now that they're under attack, we're all under attack here in Europe. We're all worried sick. We're all doing contingency plans. Um, you know, we're, we're, there's truckloads of food and supplies and goods that we've donated. Uh, I, I have to thank, uh, uh, again, another reason why Bitcoin is amazing. Thanks, Satoshi. I mean, uh, you know, I've donated millions and millions of sats. Many people have donated. I think I saw maybe the latest count was 30 million in Bitcoin. Might have been 30 million crypto. I saw Gavin Wood got a nice uh, marketing for putting uh, five million in dot. I think there was a uh, was at least two hundred and thirty Bitcoin last I saw that one Ukrainian address. Okay, well, it, there's there's many different organizations you can donate to, but yeah. the crypto donations, Bitcoin donations, I believe, are more than like any sort of human, hum, yeah. humanitarian donations. So, and again, again, you get these. These vultures coming in like uh, Christine Lagarde, uh, Elizabeth Warren saying, oh, now's the time to regulate crypto because we don't make sure Russia doesn't get to use it. These people can fuck right off. Look at what the good things that Bitcoin is doing. Look at the look at the the genuine humanitarian aid that is is pouring out uh, in the name of these people and is easy to cross borders. Uh, unbelievably easy. So good. So amazing. I Direct. love the memes. I love the memes that showed like Peter Schiff with his gold and his ship like donating gold to, to Ukraine. I mean, the memes are just nonstop. The disinformation is nonstop. I understand you, Marty. I understand that you're disillusioned. I understand your listeners if you're disillusioned. But look, I'm over here. I'm telling you these are good <laughs> people. This is like they're under attack. Their, their nation is under attack. So I've gone, I've gone just uh, full in and in retweeting stand with Ukraine over the last week. I hope people will do it uh, any way you can like fight the disinformation. If you're good in cyber, as they call it in the government sphere, uh, it's amazing actually to see the gov Russian government sites being taken down all like, as much as we can disinformation. Uh, Ukrainian music was playing on some of these state TV channels. Even I love that anonymous is fighting for Ukraine. Uh, it's not all, doom and gloom but it is extremely precarious right now the way that this motherfucker is acting yeah no i agree and i want to make it clear like i'm not like rooting against ukraine obviously like it's just again being so I, I, i'm just saying i get your point i get all of your points that you're making about you know, about being the disillusioned american yeah uh, and all of this i guess which, which is a goddamn shame it's like fuck i wish it was more clear and uh, this conversation is making it much more clear so thank you for 
for explaining everything and before before we move on but I, I think while we have you here particularly somebody who I would consider more privy to monetary economics and the dynamics of currencies on the global stage if we just zoom out 30,000 foot view abstract the um, the individuals and the dictators involved from a monetary perspective well we won't abstract Jerome Powell because earlier this week he said something which is supposed to be unspeakable uh, in his position as Fed chairman he said Voldemort by by alluding to the fact that there could be one there could be more than one global reserve currency moving forward which if you're the the chairman of the Federal Reserve you're not supposed to say that because you're supposed to protect the US dollar as the world reserve currency at all cost. And so just thinking purely the monetary developments that that come from this event and these comments from Jerome Powell, like what how do you see the the landscape of the, the global monetary system shifting in the coming years and where does Bitcoin into play come into play in your mind, if at all? Well, I think that this this war will show how far this digital iron curtain goes. Okay, so if the Russian people stand up, if Russia, which is a huge nation uh, and a huge territory and the the sphere of influence that uh, some people think that they like to be in, uh, but they absolutely don't, if that sphere of influence, if Russia could just come into the fold, come into Western peace and markets and 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 Bitcoin and all of that stuff. Uh, I think it would be pretty amazing, and um, I think you probably see the dollar retain its uh, its strength. Um, if that doesn't happen, then as we talked about before, I think you're very, very quickly going to this sort of uh, multipolar wo- world. Maybe they will have... Uh, there's a lot of disinformation, misinformation. I don't know the exact way of how these CBDCs are going to play out in China or... Um, with something that Russia might do, uh, Russia is just a resource economy, you know, resources go up, they do better. If they go down in price, they do worse. So I don't exactly know how that might play out. But what I do think is that contrary to what people thought even a week ago when Bitcoin went down on the news of the war, obviously it's more up now, up and down, whatever as it does. Um, I'm still very much thinking that in the next two to three years, I mean, Bitcoin is going to be right at the level of at least one of these currencies. Okay. So at a, at a price of 200, $300,000 per Bitcoin, that puts you right up in line with, uh, with one of, uh, one of the main sort of reserve currencies, which would be, you know, dollar, euro and yen. And then of course the one, the yuan, but even though they have, they have a lot of foreign reserves as well. So I think that I think that in the short term, it's too hard to tell like it's if it's going to be this big multipolar shift. A lot of it's going to depend on this Russian war, um, and a lot of that's going to depend on the Russian people. But um, I do, I, I don't see any way that that stops Bitcoin from uh, accreting in its value in the global monetary base. It's under three percent. Uh, it's under 0.5 percent in electricity. Uh, so again, all the haters. You have to recognize that it's accreting faster in monetary value than it is in electricity spend, um, and I can I believe that that's absolutely going to continue. And uh, yeah, equaling one of those currencies in the next two to three years is I think right on the roadmap 
Yeah. And you think, too, because the euro's been weak the last couple of days, right? It's been, hasn't the euro been collapsing against dollar because of the energy crisis and the, uh, but probably that's the thing. That's why I can't, like, I can't get my mind off. I can't believe we fucked up energy policy so bad in the Western world. Like that puts us at a dis. So with that in mind, with the the terrible energy policy in mind, it puts us at a disadvantage in terms of limits the options we have for a potent pushback at this particular juncture. And if war gaming out game theory, hypotheticals here, if Russia and China joins them and they go down this bifurcated path and you accept the assumption that they've been accumulating gold over the last few decades with the intention of reverting to a gold backed currency that rivals the dollar or attempts to compete with the dollar. Like in the US, obviously we know the Federal Reserve and the Treasury in conjunction have fucked up our money here. It's an unfixable. And again, playing to your anger at the Senator Warrens and the Christine Lagardes for bashing Bitcoin, trying to get it hyper-regulated and potentially banned. I think that is, I think for any politicians who may be listening, probably not, but if you are, it is a bit counterintuitive, but if you really do want to cut Russia and China off at the kneecaps as they attempt to do this, like allowing at the very least Bitcoin to flourish within your economy is, is a great way to, to curb any, uh, any success that, that Russia and China would have relative to Western nations on, on, the monetary landscape in the monetary landscape. Allowing Bitcoin to flourish in the American economy or the Western economy. Yes. Yes. To allow Americans, companies, potentially even states to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet and just deregulate. I mean, obviously we all agree to that, but you know that yeah. you, we know that the But that's the, the thing. It's like against it. So that's what I worry about, like the Western world, like suffering just again. So I, I think there's a bunch of huge like I tweeted that out earlier in the week. Like, I think what Jerome Powell said is the final nail in the coffin as the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world moving forward. Um, and yeah. obviously, you're going to have others, vultures circling, smelling, or sharks circling, sniffing that blood in the water and throwing things to compete and uh, into the markets with their, their new gold-backed currencies, digital, central bank digital currencies, whatever it may be. Um, and as an American, I would like to see like best way to counterpunch those sharks. They're they're smelling your blood in the water, is to open your arms to Bitcoin and let it flourish. But again, yeah, I, these people are. And I also too, too sorry. Go ahead. These people are too yeah. arrogant, and hubristic, and to to and old under, even understand the game theory playing out here. Yeah, and I also have a hard time uh, ever seeing that gold will come back, even even amidst all of this chaos. Uh, you know, what we see just the way with the gold actually gold works really well when you're in a good environment. Uh, that's, you know, you want to have it act as a hedge and you're, you're, you're feeling good about its security. Um, but when you're in an environment like Poland in 1939 and the Nazis are coming to take down your whole country and you got to transport your gold, like down through Europe and then through the black sea and then through Istanbul and then to France and then to the U S uh, which is an amazing story of the Polish gold. 
uh, during World War II, and it actually made it. Uh, still, during that time, you have one central banker sitting on that boat, sitting on that train, paying a little bit to the captain uh, as as a commission for the transport. I, I don't see that dynamic changing, especially not now looking at the way that Russia is, you know, no matter what Peter Schiff says, I mean, that, the dynamic just doesn't change as far as actually moving the gold. So I have a hard time thinking that that central banks will go back to that in a meaningful way. Yes, they have been accumulating it in the in the Eastern sort of bloc nations, but I have a hard time. And plus, it's not actually, you know, people talk about the values that I've put out here. We didn't even say the number. It's, it's a little over 30 trillion right now is the monetary base in fiat. Gold's 10, so it's like 40 trillion. A lot of people think that actually is not a lot of money because, again, that's not including claims. It is a lot of money, but <laughs> still, it's, it's, uh, it's not... I understand the, the point that a lot of people say when they don't understand what it actually means. Like, yeah, all of the, the rest of the claims in the economy are, are sort of settled on top of that. And there's, you know, hundreds of trillions of dollars of, of M1 money, M2 money, M3 money, uh, money market mutual funds, other claims, other things, you know, stable coins are now, now a part of this, uh, all ways that we can kind of trade and transfer wealth. So, uh, I don't really see that gold is necessarily, I guess, needed in that uh, in that uh, scenario. But Bitcoin absolutely is going to, and this is why I always make the the point. Even though Bitcoin is comparable economically to basic money, it has features that are vastly superior to basic money, and so it could well accrete beyond you know forty trillion in value uh, before we know it. And that just depends on the geopolitical situation of the world, like how the world shakes out, which obviously is an unknown. But I don't see gold really accreting much past the 10 trillion that it already is. And bear in mind, 50% of that is in jewelry. So that'd have to be like melted down anyway. So I'm talking about $5 trillion in gold. Again, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But Bitcoin's already, you know, it's been above a trillion, Bitcoin itself. So it's only 5x uh, less. And I, uh, again, to be clear, I don't, I'm not saying that I see Bitcoin stopping there. I'm not saying Bitcoin is, is completely analogous for these reasons, because it's, it's just vastly superior and it won't have the transport problems uh, that gold has. I had one more point to make there, but maybe I'll think of it if you say something else. Divisibility? Does that come in? Or no? No. Tumultuous, I, I mean... I think another thing we have to do is zoom out and recognize just us humans alive now. Again, I've said this many times on this show, but it can never be overstated. Like we're just, we're just fucking thrown into this crazy inflection point in human history. We're just like with the advancement of technology and the emergence of the internet, like with these volatile times, the internet as a technology has changed the way Mr. Excuse me, misinformation. Well, misinformation and information is spread and yeah. percolated throughout society. I think our brains are still attempting to adjust to the, the pace at which information is spreading throughout the world right now. And it's yeah. creating these hyper volatile situations. Like, well, it'd be interesting to see how it affects this Russian war specifically. Like, does I, I that, remember what I want to say? It, it relates to what you just said. Uh, Car, if if you could pull up the uh, cue back to my Twitter account, and just a general like go back to the, the main page off of the base money stuff. Uh, so I just posted this today. Um, so yeah, just down right there that that one top top tweet. 
and then the yeah so uh i think military again really wish we lived in a world as you said where we were beyond this inflection point a little bit more peace many more sovereign flags uh i just did this little thing today uh military spending is actually an interesting thing to look at we don't have to go through this whole thing but if you go down to like maybe the fourth or fifth tweet i show nato versus russia and um i think yeah down one more down one more one more actually so this one that, that back 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 just one up so that one right there so that's that's russia versus nato uh, since 1993, so basically since Russia's been an independent state, and um, you can see how, so if you if you put Ukraine in here, it'd be like microscopic; it would round to zero uh, as far as the value of these things. But basically, you're seeing the cumulative military spend, at least on budget. I'm sure it's even more in the United States, but on budget, it's uh, I actually can't see on the screen there, but it's like it's uh, over 22 trillion. Is it? I think it's over 22 trillion, 23 trillion. Over 24. For, over 24. Okay, so it's it's 23, 24 trillion for the United States. Or so, sorry, that's for NATO. That's for NATO in its entirety, entirety, the NATO alliance. All right. And so Russia is 1.2 trillion. So it's like 20x smaller. Um, I haven't done this analysis with China, but basically, you know, that's I'm not saying it's like the value of the military or anything, but it's just that's the independent times, last 30 years, the independent time, post-Soviet time that Russia's been there. And by the way, Ukraine. So 20, 24 trillion is like NATO spending in total in the last 30 years. The U.S. is like 30% of that. But so, sorry, to, the U.S. is two-thirds of that. It's like 15 trillion, okay, is what the U.S. has spent on their own military. So you see the difference between all of NATO and just U.S., which is in NATO. Russia's 1.2 trillion, and Ukraine is like 70 billion. <laughs> just to show you how fucked they are by this yeah. motherfucker. But uh, just anyway, um, that is probably, as many people suspect as well, it's just always kind of interesting to see the numbers. I'm not, I'm not making any conclusions from this slide. It's just um, obviously military makes a difference, right? The gun, the gun to your head makes a difference. Yes. So, um, you know, that kind of goes back a little bit to what you say. It's still smaller than monetary base, the 30, uh, the global monetary base uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, military spending still doesn't reach the amount of the global monetary base, but you can see how much bigger NATO with the U.S. Uh, is than Russia. So from this slide, at least, it does relate to what you're saying, and it does show that the dollar at least has some military hegemony in the Western world to, to remain pretty entrenched for some time. But again, as, as we all know, and as we all are favorable to, Bitcoin is, has so many better properties um, where I, I can easily see it being at least one of the big four monetary bases over the next couple of years. <sighs> Fuck, man. It was, thank you for your perspective on this. Honestly, like uh, refreshing early in the week. Again, like I said, Monday. Yeah, probably what many would consider as like the Russian perspective on all this NATO encroaching. And I think it's incredibly important, not only for me, but for anybody who listens to this podcast to get the perspective that you just laid out, which is there's a lot of propaganda out there. You've got a tyrannical autocrat invading a nation that wants to remain sovereign and free. Um, and there's a lot of hairiness with it. 
And that is the truth. I mean, like, uh, just just to say, I, I totally agree with you from that perspective, Marty. I, I understand your listeners. I'm American myself, disillusioned at their foreign policy. But you just have to look at the way the Ukrainians are fighting this war with no help, regardless of what happens in the past. Like, do you really think that they want to be under the thumb of Russia? Do you really think they want to be under the sphere of influence of Russia? That would be the question I would just leave people with. It's like, these people are fighting heroically. Uh, Eastern Europeans have suffered a lot more than Americans have suffered in the last 75 years, uh, the last 100 years, maybe in the case of Soviet countries. Um, they, know, they, they know how to suffer and they know that they want something better. And so... I would just, yeah, I really just encourage people to understand that about, about Ukrainians in particular and about Russian protesters in general. They're struggling as well. It's not a vacuum there, but it's really, you know, look at Team Navalny, um, you know, who's in the gulag right now, political prisoner. Look at Vladimir Kardomors, though. Look at a guy named Vladimir Milov, uh, although he's more in Russian. Actually, he's not very fan of Bitcoins. So maybe skip over him. But Vladimir <laughs> Kardomors is very, Vladimir Kardomors is very good as far as human rights go. And I would really recommend people he's very wonderfully speaks english and french that's your that's your thing and, and these are people that are in the genuine opposition of putin and will remain so yeah go check out yeah we need to check out these these perspectives we need to i mean yeah i'm fucking fighting for, or pulling for the people of ukraine I mean, regardless of what you think like invading countries is unacceptable and fucking forcing women to give birth in subways is something that we need to get away from. Like, and hopefully you can, you can be pro peace. You can be pro Bitcoin. You can be anti American empire. You can be anti Putin empires. No, yeah. I don't see any, they're not mutually exclusive cognitive dissonance there. I don't see yeah. any problem with that. Uh, just open your heart a little bit, please open your heart for what's happening there. Cause it's like, we're scared. We're scared. We're not feeling good about this situation at all. Yeah. Here's the hoping something drastically changes. Putin gets ousted, and we get the potential and for peace. Americans stay the fuck away. Yes, yes, yes. Stay away. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Again, the disillusioned American in me is just like, how the fuck is the CIA planning to like take advantage of this? And it's I I know I know that that's that's there, but look, the Russian. I just I tried to explain to you, the Russian state is built yeah, on the Russian security services. It's a, so it's yeah. oligarchs, Russian security services who are dolts and morons and submit to Putin <laughs> and can't even speak in full sentences and then Putin himself. So it's, it's well, absolutely corrupt. Maybe that's a silver lining of all this is that these people are incompetent and maybe we can depend on their incompetence to... We can't depend on their... Hopefully their incompetence leads to a bad outcome for them. Yeah, in the long run here. Just donate, please. Uh, fight disinformation. Everything the Kremlin tells you is a lie. Uh, fight for freedom. Fight donate. for the Ukrainians. You can. Uh, and when Matt and I talked about this, Matt Odell and I talked about this yesterday in RHR. Gleb Delmanko, who's a Bitcoin core dev, just in terms of like donating uh, via Bitcoin. And one avenue that I would trust is getting getting it through Gleb. Um who's a Bitcoin core dev and knows how to do it in the, probably the most private way possible. Uh, and, and I would be confident in his ability to distribute in a, in a, a seamless way as well. So that's donate.btcaid-ua. What's that last? .org. 
Yeah, so donate.btcaid-ua.org um, if you're Perfect. watching now. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, Maddie, uh, this conversation is a bit heavier than <laughs> many we've had in the past, hopefully. Uh, the Q1 2022 update, we, we have uh, better news to report and better topics to talk about and peace, more peaceful topics to talk about. Let's see. Let's hope and let's see. I'm, 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 I'm unfortunately too much glued to Twitter. I hated it before. I really hate it now, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't stop looking i'm almost scared to look sometimes so i yeah. just i hope that people can understand and uh thank you thank you marty enjoy your time and it's getting late where you are enjoy your time with your family your daughter your wife yeah stop doom scrolling Whatever. save yeah. save save your own mind and stop doom scrolling for at least a day or two thank you my friend thank you very good yeah. advice very yes. good advice i mean i'm guilty of it as well so uh, <laughs> just one doom scroller to another <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wasn't a week ago. I wasn't even in that trap, but now, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I hope, um, hope you stay safe over there. Uh, obviously thinking of contingency plans. Um, Texas is here for you. That's all I'll say. I appreciate it, but we all got to be worried about even maybe more dire situations, but yeah, let's not, let's not go there yet. So yeah, I appreciate that. Always. I know that Texas is there. I got FOMO still about all the good stuff you guys are doing over there. So we'll yeah. see. All right. Freaks, go follow Maddie on Twitter at crypto underscore voices. Check out his quarterly update, porkopolis.io. That's Por a new brand. That's the new site. It's not porkopoliseconomics.io, just porkopolis.io. Uh, there is porkopoliseconomics.io as well. I think we'll take you there, but there's a lot of different ones. But yeah, porkopolis.io, that's the main one. All right, sweet. We'll get into the naming of it the next time we talk. Yeah, no problem. All right, go enjoy your Friday night. All right, brother, as right. well. Have a good Friday. Good weekend. Peace and love, freaks. Okay.